And the word of God says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Amen. Please be seated. This is a passage that's been on my heart for a number of weeks now, and it's a passage that, as you look at it as a whole, has to do with the law of God. It is a passage that has to do with the law of God. That is the subject, that would be the title, that would be the heading, is the law of God. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer... An expert in the Old Testament law came to Jesus and he wanted to put Jesus to the test. In other words, this man did not have a sincere heart. He wasn't coming for right motives. He was like that smart aleck guy in your math class who always asked the extra credit questions. Not because he wanted to know the answers, but because he wanted to show everyone how smart he is. That's what this lawyer was like. He came to Jesus wanting to put him to the test, and he asked him a question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You notice here that the man's motives were wrong, but his question is actually a good question. It is the great question. It's the great uh, question that we want all men to ask. How can I go to heaven? How can I have eternal life? How can I be sure that when I die, I will go into the presence of God? How can I be sure that I will not go to hell, but I will spend eternity in heaven? What shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus gives this very interesting response. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now just pause it this second and and just emphasize that this is a passage about the law. It is a passage about the law of God. The law is the subject. The law is what they're going to be going back and forth about. The whole passage is going to flow out of this discussion having to do with the law of God. Jesus says to the man, what's in the law? How do you read the law since you are the expert in the law? And verse 27, the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer answers by naming the two greatest provisions of the law, the two great commandments. You shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, Jesus confirmed that these are the two great commandments in the law. In that passage, a man came to Jesus and asked him, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This lawyer names the two great commandments and he says, This is what's in the law, as I understand it. The two great commandments. Love God with all that is in you and love people as you love yourself. Note Jesus' response in verse 28. Very interesting. He said to him, you have answered correctly. You're right. 
Those are the two great commandments in the law. Now, remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about eternal life. Eternal life is the question. The man came to Jesus asking, how can I have eternal life? Jesus says, what's in the law? The man responds by saying that what's in the law are the two great commandments. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. And in verse 28, he says, do this and you'll live. You want to have eternal life? Do the law. Do the two great commandments in the law. Just do it. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you'll go to heaven. You'll have eternal life. That's a kind of a strange response, don't you think? Because we would say, wait a second, Jesus, are you saying that you can go to heaven on the basis of your works? Are you saying that you can actually just keep the law and, and earn your way to heaven by keeping the commandments? And the answer would be, technically speaking, yes. If it was possible for you to keep the law perfectly, if you loved God perfectly, if you loved God with not just some of your heart, but all of your heart, not just 99% of your mind, but all of your mind. If you could love God, not just with most of your strength, but all of your strength, if you could love God perfectly and also love people perfectly, as much as you love yourself, then, well, you're a perfect man. And... On the basis of that perfection, you could go to heaven and have eternal life. Jesus says to this man, you want to go to heaven? Do the law. Do it. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know what this man should have done? He should have... He, he should have he should have fell to his knees and confessed his sin. He should have stood before these commandments and he should have said, the commandments say, love God perfectly and love people perfectly. I can't do that. The commandments say, I need to have a perfect love and I don't have a perfect love. Not for God and not for people. I can't do this. I'm a sinner. I'm convicted under the weight of the law. I need grace. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I cannot keep the law. That's what he should have said. But instead, verse 29, here's his response. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This man is so filled with self-righteous pride, he's more concerned about what other people think of him than he is about actually being right before God. And so instead of confessing his sin, and be, instead of coming broken before the law of God and saying, I am not a law keeper, I am a law breaker, what he does is he engages in theological gamesmanship with Jesus. And he wants to get Jesus into this debate over the second greatest commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he wants to get him into this debate about, well, who is my neighbor? What this man is trying to do is he's trying to limit the extent of the second great commandment so that maybe if it just relates to his wife and his kids and the guy who lives next to him, then he can show everyone that, well, actually, I've, I've kept this law. And he can save his reputation before men. Jesus, in response to this line of questioning, tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, catch this, in order to explain the law of God. In order to illustrate the second greatest commandment. He wants to exposit the law of God in order to convict this self-righteous man of his sin 
to bring this man to point of brokenness before the law of God, that his heart would be prepared to receive grace. He knows that if he preaches grace to this man and he has a hard heart, that grace will not make any sense. And so the man needs to be prepared in his heart for grace by being broken before the law. And so Jesus explains applies, illustrates, exposits the second greatest commandment in order to convict this man of his sin and to bring him to the point of repentance. Now I say this to emphasize this about this text. This is very important. The parable of the Good Samaritan, it's it's not ethical teaching for the church. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not instructions on how to start a mercy ministry. It's not encouragement to be a nice person. It's it's not teaching us how to do good works, to do random acts of kindness to people, so people know that you're a good person. The moral of the story of the Good Samaritan is not be a Good Samaritan. The moral of the story is going to be we're not Good Samaritans. None of us are Good Samaritans. None of us have lived this way. None of us do live this way. None of us will live this way. Because this is the law of God. Love your neighbor as yourself, and none of us have kept that law. That is going to be the thrust of where this passage is going to teach us. We know through the Gospels that Jesus preached law to the self-righteous and grace to the broken. To self-righteous men like the rich young ruler, he preached law. He preached keep the commandments, do the law, because he wanted them to stand before the holy law of God and see their need for grace. But to the broken, to the guilty, to the poor in spirit, to men like the tax collector who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, Jesus preached grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. To the sinful woman, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. To Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And to those who are overcome by guilt and iniquity, Jesus said, come to me all who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He preached law to the self-righteous and grace to the broken. This man in Luke 10 is a self-righteous man, and so Jesus preaches to him the law. This is a passage about the law of God. Now for a moment, I'm going to digress from this passage, but don't worry, we're going to come right back. But seeing that this is a passage about the law of God, I want to give you two principles regarding the law of God that will help you to understand the parable of the good Samaritan. Two principles regarding the law to help us understand this passage. First of all, the law of God was given to expose our sin. The law of God was given to expose our sin. But the term law, we are referring to the Mosaic law, to the law in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch the law that was given to the nation of Israel through the prophet Moses. We are referring to the law that most of it is recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law that was recorded actually two times in the Old Testament because the book of Deuteronomy means second law and it's a repeat of the first law to a second generation of Israel's history. The law was so important that it's given to us twice in the Bible and the purpose of this law was to expose our sin. It was to strip us of our righteousness. It was to expose our corruption. It was to reveal that before a holy God, we have no righteousness, and even our greatest works are filthy rags before the holy law of God. That was the purpose of the law. Brothers and sisters, the law was not given in order that we might try to keep it. The law was given to show that we can never keep it. We can never keep the law of God. 
It's too high. It's too holy. It's too pure. It's too perfect. Its standards are unattainable. Just look at the, the two great commandments in the law. Love God perfectly. Love people perfectly. Who does that? Who lives like that? Well, I love God a little bit. That's not what the law says. The law says you are to love God with everything that is in you. Have any of us kept that law? Well, I'm a people person. I, I love people. That's not what the law says. The law says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a good test whether you love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine your neighbor has all your possessions, all your money, all your, your, your home, all your family, your, your clothes, everything that you have. It all goes to your neighbor and you have nothing. Are you angry? If you rebel even a little bit at that scenario, you don't love him as yourself because you know what? You don't mind that you have those things. Who loves their neighbor as themselves? Who can stand before these two great commandments and say, I'm righteous, I'm pure, I've kept the commandments? None of us has kept these commandments. Look at the, the Ten Commandments, the most famous portion of the law, Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's, let's just be honest here. Who, who of us have kept these commandments? Who of us can say, I've never had anything, any other gods before the true and living God. He's always been 100% the center of my life, 100% my satisfaction, my joy, no rivals, no rival affections. I've always honored his name. I've never dishonored my father and mother, not in the least. I've never lied or told a half-truth. I've never stolen. I've been perfectly lived a life of integrity. Who can stand before the law and say, We've done, I've, I've done it? And if you need help with this, remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that anger is a form of murder in the heart. And lust is a form of adultery in the heart. So if you've ever been angry, you've ever been irritated, you've ever been upset, you've ever had an impure thought, you've broken the sixth and the seventh commandments. And the reason why you have broken the sixth and seventh commandment is because you've broken the first commandment, you've put another God before the true and living God. And the reason why you've broken that commandment is because you've broken the greatest commandment. You have not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because if you did, you wouldn't have coveted, you wouldn't have been angry, and you wouldn't have been irritated. Who of us is blameless before the law? You see, the law wasn't given that we might keep the law. The law was given that to show us we can't keep the law. None of us measure up to the high and holy standard that is in the law. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. He said, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. If, if that had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Paul said, I was walking along, living my life. I thought I was a nice guy. I thought I was a good person. I was religious. I was a Pharisee. I did good works. And then I came before the law of God and I died. I died. It killed me. It pummeled me. It, it smashed me. It exposed me. 
It was through the law that I came to the knowledge of sin. And in particular, Paul mentions the 10th commandment, Thou shalt not covet. And you know what that commandment says? It says, it says You shall not want anything that God has given to someone else and he has not seen fit to give to you. If you see someone with, with, with anything and you're in the least bit jealous or the least bit envious or you're the least bit complaining about your own situation in life, you have broken the 10th commandment. And Paul says, who can keep that? Who can keep that commandment? When I stood before that 10th commandment, I died. Because although I did all these, these religious works, my heart was corrupt. And I was unclean in spirit. And I didn't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The law killed me. And that's what the law does. The law takes proud, self-righteous men like Paul and it smashes them so they become poor in spirit. So they come mourning before the law of God. They come hungering and thirsting for righteousness that they do not possess and they cry out to God for a righteousness that must be given apart from the law because they know that they can never get righteousness through the law. This is what the law said. It is through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. Would you note this, brothers and sisters? Paul says in Romans 7.12, after all that he says about the law killing me and the law pummeling me, he says that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. After all that the law did to Paul, Paul says, you know what, I love the law. The law is good. And the, the reason why he can say that is because of the second principle I want to lay before you. The first one, the law was given to expose our sin. The second principle is that the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. The law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. Galatians 3.24 in the NASB, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. You see, the reason why the law kills us, the reason why the law exposes our sin, the reason why the law shows our depravity, the reason why the law wants to show us how wretched and defiled we really are in heart is so that the law can lead us to Christ, that we would be justified by His grace, through faith in what he has done. You see, without the law, we all think that we're pretty good people and we don't need a Savior. We don't need grace. We can make it on our own. And the law does this work of conviction of sin and showing us how high the holy standards of God are so that it can lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. That is why Paul said that the law is good. It is righteous. It is holy. I love the law of God because without the law, I'd still be walking apart from Christ in my self-righteousness, thinking I can make it to heaven on my own because the law has come and crushed me. My heart has been taught of my need for Christ. Through the law, we are driven to despair. Through the law, we are driven to mourn over our sin. Through the law, we are driven to be poor in spirit, to come to God as spiritual beggars. And our hearts are prepared for the gospel. And the gospel is this, Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Verse 27, Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let me recap real briefly. First principle, the law was given to expose our sin. We aren't meant to keep the law. The law shows us we can never keep the law. Second principle, the laws are tutored to lead us to Christ. In exposing our sin, it demonstrates our need for a righteousness that comes by grace alone, through faith alone. And our hearts are prepared to receive the gospel. Now with those two principles in mind, let's go back to Luke chapter 10 and let's go back to our passage and let us understand the parable of the Good Samaritan. What is this parable about? Remember that Jesus and this lawyer are discussing the law. The man asked, how can I have eternal life? Jesus said, look to the law. Jesus said, if you can do the law, you can have eternal life. And the man asked, well, when it comes to the second great commandment, who is my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus tells this parable in order to explain the law of God, to expose this man's sin, and to allow the law to be a tutor to lead him to grace. Now, I spent a lot of time setting up the parable. What I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to read the parable for you, and then I'm going to just sum it up in one main point so that you understand the thrust of the parable. So let's look at the parable, verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise. Here's the point of the parable. The man asks, who's my neighbor? He wants to limit the extent of the second greatest commandment. Because if he can limit the extent of the second greatest commandment, he can maybe show people that he's kept it. Jesus, in this parable, demonstrates the true intent of the second greatest commandment. And the true intent of this commandment is that it applies not only to your friends, but it applies to your enemies. That's what Jesus would teach this man. If you want to get to heaven by keeping the law, keep this law. Love your enemy as you love yourself. If you can do that, kept the law and you can go to heaven but you have not kept this commandment until you have gone to someone who despises you gone to someone who is filled with ven venom towards you gone to someone who hates the ground you walk on and you have poured out your heart poured out your life 
poured out your time, poured out your possessions, poured out everything you own in an unlimited way until you have done that to the person who hates you the most, you have not kept the second greatest commandment. Because the second greatest commandment, the true intent of it is, love your enemy as yourself. parable is about a man who loves his enemy as he loves himself. The Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. One rabbi said, don't even give bread to a Samaritan because you're feeding pigs, you're feeding swine's flesh if you feed a Samaritan. It, it was a racial thing. It was racial prejudice. They despised them because they were half-breed Jew and Gentile and they despised the ground they walk on. And the whole story is about a man who goes to an enemy, a man who despises him, who hates him, and pours out his heart, pours out his life, pours out his possessions, pours out his time, his energy, and lavishes that enemy with love and loves his enemy as he loves himself. That's what the parable is about. Jesus is saying to this, tax, this, uh, this lawyer, he's saying, until you have loved your enemy like this, you have not kept the law. Sure, do the law and you go to heaven, but have you kept the law? Have you loved your enemy as you love yourself? I don't want to overstate the shock value of this, this story, but in an American context, if we were to tell a story like this, the, a member of Al-Qaeda would be the hero of the story. A, a member of the Taliban would be the hero of the story. A member of Saddam Hussein's henchmen would be the hero of the story. And all of us would recoil and we would say, you can't make him the hero of the story. He's an enemy. America hates those guys. That would have been the shock value of this man hearing the story of the Samaritan being the hero of the story and loving a despised enemy. And Jesus is saying, this is the law. This is the law. This is perfect love. For people. This is perfect love on a horizontal basis. This is a man who loves God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength because he loves his enemy as himself. And if you have not kept this law, then you're in need of grace. Jesus says, I love this first sum at the end of the passage. He says, He says, go and do likewise. So here's the law. Go do it. Just do the law. And if I were to tell you that, if I were to say, here's the teaching, guys. Do this law. Love your enemy as you love yourself. Go out this week. Find the person who hates you the most. Find the person who's spewing racial epithets at you and give him all that you have, like, like this good Samaritan did. His oil, his wine, his animal. Uh, pay for it. He, he paid for the, the innkeeping for two denarii. That's a two months, wage, two months of lodging. Go out and just lavish money and lavish time on the person you know that hates you the most. You guys will all come back next week and you will say, you know what, Dan, I, I couldn't do it. I can't live up to that. I mean, at my most greatest moment, I can maybe not hate them. I can maybe send them a card. But to pour out my life for them, I can't do that. Christ's words to this, man, to this lawyer, go and do likewise, is an invitation to confession. It's an invitation to brokenness. It's an invitation for the man to 
stand before the law of God and find himself lacking, to have his righteousness stripped away, to come poor in spirit and to come with his need for grace. What Jesus is teaching the lawyer and what he's teaching us this morning is that we, we are all lawbreakers. We are all lawbreakers. We all stand condemned before the law. Did you notice that Samaritan, he, um, he loved his enemy lavishly. He, he loved him with a heartfelt love. He had compassion on him. He loved him uh, in a sacrificial way, giving his oil, his wine, his animal, his money. But he also loved him in an unlimited fashion. He said to the innkeeper, whatever it takes to spend on this man, spend it and I'll repay you. Here's my, my charge account. No limit. There's no limit to my love for a man who hates me and despises me. Who of us have loved that way? If we understand the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we will die before this law. It will kill us. It will expose our selfishness it will expose our idolatry. It will expose our that we love ourselves and not others. You may be a philanthropist. You may give to charity. You may do good works. You have not stood before the second great commandment. Some people say, well, I gave, I gave five bucks to a guy in need once. I'm a good Samaritan. You're not a good Samaritan doesn't even come close to what the law prescribes. And when we die before the law, when we are crushed like Paul, when all our evil motives are exposed, when we confess before God that we have not kept the greatest commandments, we have not kept the Ten Commandments, we have not kept any of the other commandments, our hearts are prepared to receive the gospel. And the gospel is this. There is one man who kept the law. Praise God. There is one perfect man who kept all of the law. Who loved God with all his heart soul, mind, and strength, who loved his neighbor perfectly, who loved his neighbor as himself, and even went so far as to love his enemy as himself. There was one man who never had any other gods before God, who always honored the name of God, who always honored his father and mother, who never stole, who never lied, who never lusted, who never was sinfully angry, who never was covetous, who never complained, who never once for one second of his life fell short of the holy commandments of the law of God. There is one man who has come and established a perfect, holy standard of human righteousness without fail, without flaw, without blemish, without spot. In his earthly life, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. And he said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. And in the greatest expression of the second greatest commandment, to love your enemy in an unlimited way. Jesus Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of what we see in the Good Samaritan in that he not only gave his possessions on behalf of his enemies, he not only gave his time on behalf of his enemies, he not only gave his affections to those who hated him, no, Jesus Christ gave his very own life. 
to save those who hated him and who despised him. Those of us who mocked him and desired nothing to do with him. He loved us as he would love himself. And he loved us with a limitless love. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, God took our record of law-breaking, our our wretched, sinful record of blame and shame and guilt and countless times that we have violated the law of God, and he took that record and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus Christ so that it is all paid for in full. And in the great exchange of justification. God took Christ's perfect record of law keeping and he imputed it to guilty sinners by grace through faith so that now, apart from the law, we have received a righteousness that we have not earned. And God sees us clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God sees us as if we had kept the law of God, although we know we have not. God sees us as if we have loved God perfectly, though we know we have not. God sees us as if we have loved people perfectly, though we know we have not. God sees us as if we have kept the Ten Commandments, though we have kept none of those commandments. It's the gospel. It is a righteousness that comes to us, not through the law, but apart from the law. A righteousness that comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ's work alone. And the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we stand before the law of God, we will mourn. We will mourn. We will. We will have the pain of the tax collector in our heart. We will be miserable and weep over our countless sins. Before a holy God, we will mourn. But when the law has brought us to that point, it has brought us to the end of ourselves. It says to us that it's brought us to that point to tutor us, to lead us to Christ. Their eyes will be lifted up and see the cross and to see the blood of Christ shed on our behalf. That our sorrow will be turned to joy. Our mourning will be turned to dancing. That our grief will be turned to joy over what Christ has done on our behalf. This is the ministry of the law of God. Last week, Pastor James shared a quote that was so good. I need to repeat it again. It was emailed to you and posted on our website. I'm going to repeat it again because so many of you, you don't check your emails and it's really irritating, and, but I'll repeat it, <laughs> repeat it to you again. From Richard Lovelace, listen carefully once again. There he says, Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness and of the extent and guilt of their sin 
that consciously they see little need for justification. Although below the surface of their lives, they are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. Many others have a theoretical commitment to this doctrine, but in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification. They draw assurance of their acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experiences, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of conscious willful sin. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted. Looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. In order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place in the church, multitudes within must be led to build their lives on this foundation. This means that they must be conducted into the light of a full conscious awareness of God's holiness. The depth of their sin. And catch this. The sufficiency of the atoning work of Christ for their acceptance with God. Not just at the outset, of their Christian lives, but every succeeding day. As your pastor, I'm I'm concerned that for many of you, if we were to boil down in your heart the essence of your Christian life, if we were to go to to what really is is motivating you, what really is driving you, what is really your experience day to day, Monday to Saturday, what is the essence of your Christian life? If we were to, to open that safe in your heart, my concern is that for many of you, we would find law keeping, really what is at the center of your life. I have to keep the law. I have to love God. I have to love people. I have to do good works. I have to not steal, not lie, not be angry, not covet. I have to do this. And that refrain going on in your head Monday to Saturday is... I must perform. And at the center and the core of your Christian life is what you do for God, not what Christ has done for you. And brothers and sisters, I'm just pleading with you this morning that if that's your experience, if that's what's in your heart, Let the law be your tutor. Stop trying to keep the law. Instead, die before the law. Let the law kill you and bring you to a point of brokenness. And then let the law tutor you to lead you to Christ. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, as we come before your law, we we mourn. We mourn, Father, 
because of the countless sins that we have committed. We mourn because of the countless transgressions that are to our account. We confess that open shame belongs to us because we are not law keepers, we are law breakers. We confess that we deserve the full penalty of the law, which is eternity in hell. Yeah, Father, we thank you that the law leads us to Christ. That apart from the law, your righteousness has been revealed in the person and work of Christ. And that Christ has kept the law on our behalf that we might be justified by faith. Father, we praise you. And as we look to Christ, our sorrow turns to joy and our mourning turns to rejoicing. And we exult in the Savior whom you have provided for us and the righteousness that you have granted to us by grace through faith. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters at this church. And I pray that you would keep us from the error of the Galatians and that having been justified by grace, we would not return to the law but that we would stand firm in the freedom that you have granted to us in the gospel because of what Christ has done for us. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory because our salvation is all by grace. And we give you thanks for this time. In Christ's name, amen.